Before I put the title up for this week's message, you can bring the slides up. Before I bring the title up for this week's message, I need to give you a little bit of a, a disclaimer. I want to start off with a small disclaimer that there are some descriptive language in the passage in Revelation chapter 17 today. And just to remind you, if you remember the last two weeks, I've taught you that there is a big difference between those who might struggle with sin and those who become fully committed to wickedness. There's a big difference. We live in a fallen world. And many people suffer from choices they regret. And choices many are even forced into. God's purpose for the passage today isn't to shame or condemn people who've been sucked into bad situations. The descriptive language in this passage is a metaphor teaching us why evil has such incredible power, powerful seduction on all of our lives. This passage actually pulls back the curtain on that seductive power so that followers of Jesus can know what is really going on in the world around us. So the title for this week, and I didn't pull, make this up on my, on my own, this is actually in the passage. It's called The Great Prostitute. Do you ever marvel at how this world seems to constantly fight against our desire to follow Jesus faithfully? The world never tries to make it easy, does it? It never says, why? Well, I, I know that you love Jesus and we don't, but we're going to help you stay faithful to the Lamb. No, in fact, the world does everything it can to make it harder. Doesn't it seem like the world constantly beckons us to fall in love with life on this earth more than we love our Savior? The world system is seductive. It does feed the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. <clears throat> Sadly, for the unredeemed, this world is all they have to live for, so those seductions are irresistible for them. But for us as children of God, we are going to need lots of wisdom if we want to learn how to resist this world's seduction. That is what the passage today is all about. <clears throat> Then one of the seven angels with the seven bowls said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names. It had seven heads and ten horns, the woman was arrayed in purple, scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. On her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly, but the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman, the beast with seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The history of this passage, once again, as we know throughout Revelation, is critical if, if we're really going to understand what the purpose 
of the passage is and how to interpret it. The history has perspectives about immorality, drunkenness, and this empire of Babylon. First of all, I want you to focus on immorality and drunkenness as it relates to this passage. After that Armageddon vision that we studied last week, right? The one that we hope we wake up to one day, that'd be great, wouldn't it? After that, the angel pulls back a curtain for John, revealing the seductive power of wickedness. You know, nothing, nothing says revelation like a graphic, edgy description like this, right? <laughs> of how wickedness is pervasive, how it dominates the unredeemed world. Leave it to revelation to take us there, right? The angel calls the woman, the, the, the metaphor in this passage, calls her the great prostitute, revealing who she is and how she will be judged when Jesus returns. Now, John's readers would immediately see these two Old Testament metaphors of seduction and drunkenness. Listen carefully. They would see these two metaphors solely in a spiritual context, not an actual physical context. See, throughout the Old Testament, sexual immorality is used metaphorically to describe when people choose unfaithfulness, choose love of the world before love of God. The Greek word that is translated prostitute in this passage is the Greek word porneo. We get pornography from that. It means to prostitute oneself to fulfill the lust of another for gain or leverage. The word prostitute means to stand before someone to seduce them. It describes unfaithfulness as a capitulation to evil seduction to the point, and this is, this is important in the picture, it describes capitulation to evil seduction to the point of completely naked, exposed vulnerability. Yes, it's a graphic image, but it is to be interpreted spiritually in this sense. It's the same way that the Old Testament uses drunkenness as a metaphor for someone whose wisdom and discernment are compromised. Joel chapter 1 verse 5 says, Awake, you drunkards, weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. This is not talking about drinking in a bar. It's talking about spiritually being drunk, lacking discernment, walking around in a stupor. See, when someone is drunk, their thought process becomes impaired. They become easily manipulated, easily seduced, easily exploited. They lose the ability to comprehend the reality of the situation around them. They can no longer properly assess deceptions or threats to them. So used together, right, this vision of a prostitute and this drunkenness and immorality all together creates an extremely offensive, powerful metaphor for a reason. This, prophet, she, this, uh, this uh, prostitute, she is alluring. She's beautiful, and she's holding a cup full of intoxicating abominations that dull the senses. John's readers, again, would immediately read these Old Testament metaphors in a solely spiritual context, this immorality and this drunkenness in a spiritual context. Then I want you to see Babylon the Great, because Babylon the Great is mentioned. So, little history here. 40 years after the Jews left Egypt in the Exodus, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. You know that story. And then after 40 years, after that generation had passed off the scene and a new one had come, Israel finally entered their promised land, 
and they became a durable, powerful kingdom. Israel was a dominant kingdom on the earth for almost, not quite, which, by the way, this is very interesting, the number. It fell just short of a 1,000 years. Israel withstood countless foreign invaders, even a bloody civil war that split the country in two from the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. Judah represented the throne of David in the line of Christ. They remained autonomous and intact until around 600 B.C. Then Judah finally fell to an invading empire called Babylon. And Babylon became the first of four foreign occupying empires to dominate and control that region, all of which were prophesied in Daniel chapter 7. Babylon, Greece, Persia, and Rome. The Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, when he came in and he took over the Holy Land, he desecrated the temple and then destroyed it. And then after that, he exiled every Jewish person from their land, kicked them out. And then Babylon controlled Israel for 70 years, and this began centuries of Israel living under foreign rule, one empire after another. And since Babylon was the very first to conquer Israel after almost a thousand years as an autonomous kingdom, since Babylon was the first to conquer, Babylon became symbolic. Its name, Babylon, became symbolic for any occupying pagan empire that took the promised land. Whether it was Greece or Persia or Rome, the Jews would always call them all Babylon. For example, we learned about this in our series on the letters of Peter. First century Jews definitely called Rome, symbolically, Babylon. We saw this in our study, right? This was the passage. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greeting. This was Peter saying there's a woman, a famous follower of Jesus, who lives at Babylon. He was talking about Rome. So that's the history. Now that you understand why John is using this idea of a prostitute and sexual immorality and drunkenness, now that you understand that, we can begin to properly interpret the passage. So look at the spiritual section. I'm going to talk about the fact that what the angel does is he reveals her identity. First of all, this, this great prophet is beautiful on the outside. She's not ugly. Again, this passage is not intended to condemn people sucked into that life. It's a metaphor for spiritual unfaithfulness. It is, though, if you think about it, a very appropriate metaphor, this Evil sexual exploitation has always been rampant in our fallen world, has it not? Now, do you remember earlier in our study, we learned about the woman who represented the church being taken to the wilderness for refuge? The wilderness is a refuge for God's people. But for the wicked, the wilderness always stands for a place where they are exposed and prepared for judgment. That's why the angel takes John in the spirit to a wilderness where this great prophet is. She is being exposed for who she is. Just as the wicked are exposed and gathered at Armageddon, that's not really much of a battle. It's a gathering and a judgment. The angel is now exposing who this great prostitute is. In fact, in fact, the angel reveals to John that this beautiful, seductive prostitute carries the mark of the second beast. On her forehead is written the name of every blasphemy and every deception from the mouth of the dragon. Does that sound familiar, by the way, for those of you that have been here through this passage or through this book? She is full of outward beauty. 
She is dressed, she is described, her clothing is described, she is dressed to seduce with expensive clothes and gold. And she holds this beautiful golden chalice in her hand, which is, which is very inviting on the outside. In the ancient world, when you had an expensive golden chalice, you'd only put the best wine in it. But inside her golden chalice is wine that is filled with disgusting, intoxicating abominations. The bitter wine dregs inside make the nations drunk with passion for evil and every sinful desire the dragon can muster. It's both subtle blasphemies like wokeism, nationalism, universalism. It's also full of blasphemies like bloodshed and murder and violence. It's every depraved immorality, decadence, materialism, false religion, earthly philosophy, or any form of earthly government. Yes, any form of earthly government. Anything that you put your faith and trust in and idolize more than Jesus. She is so alluring. She convinces the unredeemed to idolize any and all of these things before God or the gospel. And here's the sad part about it. To be successful... In that seduction, she only needs the unredeemed to idolize just one of those abominations. Not a bunch, just one. Her seductive beauty and power is so magnetic, she lures the unredeemed into a full, naked, intimate relationship with her. They run to her bed, vulnerable, in full embrace of her earthly beauty and idolatry, and they guzzle from her cup until they are full. They entrust their very existence, every hope for joy or peace or satisfaction or happiness or fulfillment. They entrust all of that to her and her wisdom and her pleasures. And as the world indulges with her, as they indulge, they think, wow, life cannot get any better than this. And then it ends as they face God as judge. Little bonus, little bonus theology here. Remember another woman in the wilderness? She and her offspring represented the faithful, the church. Do you remember that? This great prostitute is a metaphor for how the enemy always tries to create a counterfeit. It's the antithesis of the faithful woman whose offerings, offspring follow the lamb wherever he goes. I just want you to see that. And this prostitute, this woman, is drunk with hatred. This prostitute has been made drunk herself. She is drunk with the hatred and the desire to deceive God's redeemed, us. When her power of deception and seduction doesn't work on us, she will turn to blood and violence. She wants to kill them. She wants to unite all the redeemed against the redeemed. She wants to unite all those who reject Christ against those who accept him. She makes the nations drunk with that same wine of hatred and resentment that she has drunk from. And the scripture says she is riding the beast. She's riding this scarlet beast with seven heads and ten horns. By the way, does that sound familiar to anyone? It's the first beast that rises out of the sea that represents what? Every earthly government. Yes, it's the same beast in chapter 13. 
She sits on top of the beast. She's riding the beast, getting her power from the beast that controls every world government in human history. So she is marked by one beast, the spirit of deception, and she's riding the other. This reveals the source of her seductive power. She is everything wicked. She is everything evil. She's everything anti-God in one stunning, beautiful presentation. And what the angel is revealing to John, you can understand, right? It's quite troubling to John. Just as it was to Daniel, he said, when I saw these things, they troubled me. John marvels at her. And why wouldn't he? She's beautiful. She's seductive. She's seemingly irresistible. She's powerful. She's violent. She's deadly. And she's hateful. But the angel says to John, why do you marvel at her? Right at the end, you saw that question, right? Why do you marvel at her? Don't worry. I'm about to expose for you every secret about her. And once I reveal all of this, you'll understand exactly who she is, what she wants, and why you can endure her seduction. I'm going to, this is the angel talking to John, I'm going to pull back the curtain so you and all who read this passage that you're writing will see through her outward beauty and see through her seduction. I'm going to arm all the redeemed. I'm going to bless them, right? He says in chapter 1, blessed are those who read this. I'm going to bless the redeemed with wisdom so they will resist her and faithfully follow the Lamb wherever he goes. So that's some good history and some good theology. Let's look at the personal part about this. You know, you don't have to marvel. This was the sermon preview this week. The unredeemed world is a temptress who uses anything she can to seduce followers of Jesus to be unfaithful. <clears throat> you know, it's understandable why even we, the redeemed, struggle with the constant seduction of this great prostitute, right? She's constantly using everything in her arsenal to come at the redeemed who follow the lamb wherever he goes. And she personalizes her seduction. She knows what you like, what you don't like. She's not going to try to seduce you with things you find unattractive or unappealing things or ideas that just to you seem like lunacy or stupidity. She wants to be appealing. She wants to be deceptive. She uses religion that seem beautiful, that seem righteous, even seem like they're moral on the outside, but they are, these philosophies, prostitutes for truth. How often does society try to hijack the person of who Jesus is and what he would do? It's everywhere. You know, this week, I was, as I was writing the sermon, I was, I was going from one meeting to another, and I stopped at a Whole Foods I know, Laura, don't judge me for going to a Whole Foods. She goes, why? That's expensive. Don't go to Whole Foods. But I went there, and I walked in. Have you ever been into a Whole Foods, and you ever notice how much stuff in there is labeled and marketed it as a path to peaceful New Age serenity? <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? I don't see one product in Whole Foods that says, eat this, you'll love Jesus more. I don't see any of that. I mean, listen, the great prostitute is even in grocery stores. I mean, it's kind of funny, but, but listen, I'm being a little bit serious too. Have you noticed that? 
everything is good and peaceful and, and one with the universe, that's the prostitute talking. There's only one way to be united with God, and that's through his son, Jesus Christ. But it's everywhere. You ever noticed on TV, whether you're watching a show or even a football game, how even the commercials seem to glorify materialism, immorality, or anything other than righteousness? Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. I'll explain this in a minute, but I, I think many Christians, like John was, can often get caught up marveling at the great prostitute that is this world system. And this, up on the screen that I just read for you, this was actually Paul's warning to Christians in Corinth who had begun to sip the dregs from the great prostitute's golden cup. That's who he was talking to, Christians who were starting to sip a little bit of the abomination. It's true as followers of Jesus, sometimes we get seduced a little bit, don't we? Sometimes we take a little sip from her cup of abominations. Let's all be honest. The great prostitute has used seduction that appeals to your eyes, your ears, your flesh, and your pride. Peter says here, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Sometimes we get a little tipsy, don't we? We become affectionate, intimate, naked with the things that she offers us. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's resentment. Sometimes it's self-righteousness. There's a lot of little seductions from the great prostitute. But true followers of Jesus, and I'm talking about true followers of Jesus marked by the Holy Spirit, should at some point be able to quickly taste, wow, this cup is kind of bitter. I don't think I like this all that much. We really should. And we should want to spit it out. Because it has been revealed to us, this bitter-tasting cup full of every abomination is designed to make you, follower of Jesus, unfaithful. It is designed to make you idolize something in this world more than you worship our Jesus. Look what the author of Revelation, John, says in his first letter. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. You see the connection. So if we are going to resist the seduction of the great prostitute, it starts with understanding who and what is behind her beauty. And here's what I can tell you for sure. You ready? The great prostitute will never do anything that even remotely proclaims the true gospel of Jesus. Ever. Ever. It will try to proclaim something that looks and smells and sounds like the gospel of Jesus, but really isn't. I could give some examples. Jesus is a way to heaven, but not the only way. Lie. Only the redeemed can proclaim the gospel. 
All throughout the book of Revelation, we've seen metaphors, whether it was the two witnesses or the 144,000 of the redeemed who take the great commission at the end of Acts, at the end of Matthew, and take it to the world. That's our job. Instead, what the great prostitute will do is she will use seduction to tempt us to idolize immorality, prosperity, materialism, consumption, or hedonism, whether it's politics or money or addiction or sexual immorality or spiritual deceptions. And yes, sadly, it can happen in the church if we're not true to God's word. She is continually, listen to me, Brothers and sisters, she, the great prostitute, is continually placing herself before you, trying to come between you and the lamb who you should be following wherever he goes. Wait, are you sure you want to go over there? What about here? Stepping in front of your eyes, stepping in front of your path, stepping in front of what you think is right and good. She wants to fully draw you, and this, this is where I'm going to get a little graphic. She wants to fully draw you into naked, vulnerable, passionate intimacy with as many of her deceptions from her cup as she can. She wants to pull you away from faithfully following the lamb wherever he goes. Question for you, is there anything in her cup you're tempted to sip today? Do you idolize politics? Economics? Sex? Sexual encounters, secular philosophy? Are you one that is susceptible to take a bitter sip of new doctrine or fresh ideas and interpretations of Scripture whenever they come up? See, we must be armed with what is revealed in this passage about who she is and what she wants and the source of her power. We are blessed with this important revelation from John in chapter 17. We don't need to marvel at her. We don't need to be mesmerized by her. Instead, we have been given in this passage the wisdom and discernment to spot this one coming a mile away, to see her seductive schemes before she can even launch them at us. We will understand her seductive power, her beautiful appearance, and her cup of sewage for the disgusting, revolting, seething abomination that all of it is. And having the curtain pulled back on her becomes another one of the blessings that John promised to those who read this book in chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 24 and 27. We're going to read this, and I've, I'm sorry to tell you, you have homework this week. Oh, sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low. All her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to the grave, going down to the chambers of death. If I had time today, and we don't, you know what I would do? I would have all of us read together out loud in community all of Proverbs chapter 7. The connection to this metaphor of the great prostitute is unmistakable and it is powerful and you can see how John's readers would go right there and understand exactly what it is. So instead I'm giving you all a mandatory pastoral assignment. You can do it later today 
or tomorrow, but everyone here must read this. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can, you're home already. You might as well read it now. <laughs> and I will be checking you at the door next week. And if you haven't complied, big trouble awaits all of you. No donut, no apple fritter, nothing. So the end of this proverb, this, the end of this proverb right here, we're going to read it again, and I'm going to close with that. The end of this proverb is the perfect sober ending to today's sermon. And it's why you, O oh child of God, don't have to marvel at her anymore. O oh sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low. All her slain are, mighty, are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to the grave, going down to the chambers of death. Proverbs 7, read it all on your own this week. Heavenly Dad, thank you that you have given us, you have blessed us with the revealing of what the seduction of this world really is. A cup full of disgusting abominations. Lord, please empower us with wisdom, discernment, and self-control so that we can see her seductions coming a mile away, not let her come in between our faithful following of you. And when we do fail, when we do fall, help us to run to Psalm 51 and confess and ask for mercy and grace and forgiveness and the ability to repent. Lord, please keep us from falling in love, from idolizing the things of this world. It's philosophies, it's politics, it's addictions, it's immorality, it's injustice, it's false righteousness. Lord, give us comfort under the arms of true righteousness and the grace we have been showered with by your Son on the cross. Keep our eyes open. Keep us sober. Keep us vigilant so that we can resist the great seductress. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We love you guys. Do your homework.